does anybody care? This planet's empty. I see no signs of life. Please don't tell me that the human race did not survive. There are no people in the future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Hey, everybody, 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 welcome, welcome. Man, it feels like forever. Welcome back, welcome back to our Friday Politics Roundup. It is Friday, September 8th, 2023, and this is Raging Chicken's Friday Politics Roundup. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Each week we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. And you can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress today. And you can also help out the show by heading over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And if you're one of our awesome podcast listeners, make sure to leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen on. And leave a comment to let other folks know how you like the show. Little things like this help other people find the show. And you can help. You can also join us on our Discord. Yes, indeed. We are back in Discord. If you want to help continuing the conversation, I just dropped the link into today's chat. And you know what? You can uh, check it out in today's show notes. Right? Click on the link and join our Discord to continue the conversation throughout the week. Well, in today's show... Lots going on, so we're going to kind of try to narrow our focus a little bit because it's just been insane. There's no way it could possibly cover everything that's happened uh, since uh, we last had our show. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about what my weeks have been like. Uh, I'll give you a little insight there. Um, but some cool stuff, some important stuff happening right now. Uh, the UAW is getting closer to striking as the latest contract offer from GM and Stellantis was rejected. It's just not good enough to ward off a strike. UAW President Sean Fain has made it clear that unless a deal is reached by September 14th, just about 150,000 UAW workers will head to the strike lines. This is uh, significant. Looks like union summer, labor summer, strike summer is moving into the fall. And Hurricane Lee is rapidly intensified to a Category 5 storm in the Atlantic. While current models predict the storm will not directly hit major populated areas, the storm's rapid intensification is linked to the record warm temperatures of the Atlantic, providing a window into our climate futures. And speaking of those futures, you need to look what's going on in Hong Kong, for example. Uh, overnight, Hong Kong was inundated with flash floods as more rain fell on the region since records started being kept in 1884. Over 19 inches of rain fell on Hong Kong in 24 hours with over, this is amazing, with over six inches of rain falling just between the hour of 11 p.m. and midnight last night. It's insane. Some of the videos coming out of Hong Kong are just uh, uh, like out of control. Um, we saw the same thing that happened with floods in Turkey. We saw floods in Saudi Arabia. Uh, we've seen, you know, obviously the floods that hit uh, um, 
uh, Vermont and other sections of the country here. We've seen the uh, the intensification of hurricanes, uh, historic hurricane hitting um, the Florida curve, that little elbow area in Florida um, that has not been hit by a major hurricane um, in like, you know, generations. Um, our climate is certainly ramping up, that's for sure. Um, in other news, also, West Virginia University becomes the latest canary in the coal mine in higher education. The university has announced deep cuts, which will eliminate 169 faculty members. That's about 7% of the faculty. And it will also eliminate 32 of the university's 338 majors. Now, remember, uh, West Virginia University is the major public university in the state of West Virginia. And now they're looking to gut. Uh, the president of West, uh, West, uh, West Virginia, I have wrong one, of WVU and WCU, uh, West Virginia University, Gordon G., told the New York Times, quote, we simply have lost the support of the American public when he was explaining the lack of funding for public universities. Now, let's also be clear um, that is not the only agenda that's going on there because, of course, most of those cuts are happening in the humanities and those areas that are about kind of sustaining and building out kind of a democratic <laughs> background, kind of thinking about kind of like, oh, the human sciences, while at the same time, there's going to be some other programs that it looks like are going to be kind of rebranded a little bit, um, not to be majors in kind of like geological engineering, something like that, but just going to be called energy majors. Yes, and it's going to be about extracting of more fossil fuels in the state. And... Uh, Another version of a dystopian future. Well, uh, Elon Musk has admitted that he unilaterally, unilaterally denied the Ukrainian military access to the Starlink satellite internet service in order to prevent a Ukrainian drone attack against some of the Russian naval fleet near the coast of Crimea. That's right. So let's be clear. Elon Musk initially said uh, after Russia had invaded Ukraine, that he just was going to kind of like, okay, we're going to get Starlink up or we're going to help uh, kind of the Ukraine kind of defend its uh, territorial integrity. But apparently, uh, you know, the uh, the the uh, would-be emperor, uh, Elon Musk, decides, you know, makes these decisions on his own, right? So we're basically privatizing the role of government, right? Because we're kind of turning over satellite production to, the, um, to these billionaires and they get to make the decisions. So apparently, uh, the Ukraine was about to kind of uh, uh, put together a drone attack um, on some of the Russian naval fleet. Again, like I said, down near near Crimea. Um, but uh, Musk, you know, had a little conversation with some uh, Russian officials. Um, and then Musk said, well, you know, I got some concerns that this might spiral out of control into a uh, nuclear holocaust or nuclear war. Um, so, you know what? I don't want the attack to take place. So, therefore, I'm going to deny the Ukrainian military access to the Starlink thing in order to carry out this attack. Now, we put the war stuff aside, whether or not you agree, you agree or not, blah, blah, blah. the whole idea that we're basically privatizing government here to the point of international relations is unbelievable, right? Especially when that's in the hand of someone like Elon Musk. So the fortunes of a con international conflict, an invasion right, of Ukraine by Russia, the fortune of that is kind of like by the whims of Elon Musk, right? Maybe actually kind of, get, you know, kind of, I don't know, rolls himself a few blunts, gets certainly stoned and decides, oh, maybe, maybe today I'll let him attack. You know, we'll see. Let's see what happens. Unbelievable. A little closer home here in Pennsylvania. Later today and tomorrow, uh, this goes, thank you, Chris, for this one. Later today and tomorrow, York, PA will play host to a 
big Christian nationalist Dominion conference, a Dominionist, sorry, conference featuring a who's who of right-wing religious ideologues. PA Representative Wendy Fink, representing PA's 94th district, which includes part of York, has actively promoted the event on social media, telling readers, come out to the big event at Praise Community Church in York on September 8th to hear me speak about how you can build a community action team at your local church. That's right, church and government working together. That's right before she and her staff gave, provide the religious zealots are attending this thing. Um, you know, some a little kind of, you know, little get together as an introduction to firearms, followed by a little cozy pastor's breakfast. Big question is, will any major media outlets actually cover this event and see why this is significant, especially as we lead into the 2024 election year? Oh, we shall see. We shall see. And I got to say this one, a great new podcast from the Bucks County Beacon is coming up. The Civic Circle is a Gen Z hosted and focused podcast for the Bucks County Beacon with production assistance from yours truly. Yeah, check out Cyril's interview with the host in the latest episode of The Signal and look for the premiere of their show right around the corner. It's uh, very, very cool. Absolutely awesome stuff. Um, you got to check it out. Um, and I can't wait for you to hear their first episode um, and to see where this goes. I mean, this is kind of what we need um, in Bucks County, certainly. Um, after the break, after our little discussion of our headlines and introduction and things like this, we'll take a short break. And then the second half of the show today, we're going to be focused on what's going on at Penridge. Um, and um, we're going to dig in a little bit about the 1776 curriculum. Um, and as kind of, I know, look, a lot of folks have been digging into this and stuff. I thought we'd take a little time just to talk about what we um, what is actually happening. Um, the curriculum uh, was approved on on the first day of school. So the teachers who are teaching this new curriculum, um, the curriculum was not even approved until the f later the, in the evening of the first day of school. And now that's of course wreaking havoc in terms of like the, t the choices that teachers have to make um, and so on. But I thought it's gonna be important to really think about what's uh, going on in the 1776 curriculum that is being um, you know, kind of integrated, this kind of Christian nationalist inspired curriculum is being integrated into the uh, Penridge School District. We're gonna take a look at some articles and some reporting on that. Um, and then um, hopefully we'll kind of uh, be moving forward um, and I'll let you a little bit know about how we're gonna um, handle that here at Raging Chicken. All right, for more PA Progressive Talk, tune into the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you get your streams. And make sure you subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Check out the ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast, the amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast, Rock the House. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast. If you haven't heard the Signals new podcast from the Bucks County Beacon, it's not so new anymore. It's been there around since the beginning of the year. The Signal is hosted by Beacon's editor in chief, Cyril Nicolaco, and produced by this guy right here. Twice a month, The Signal will shine a light on right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests who can provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions that we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive roots. Check out the podcast directly at buckscountybeacon.podbean.com or pick it up wherever you get your podcasts. And also, you can start looking for The Civic Circle, which is going to be on a separate stream, um, but we'll get more to that um, when we get closer to the launch. 
And for all you gamers out there, The Game Inn, that's with two N's, The Game Inn is a Quakertown-based, black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything from retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. You got to check them out. You got a question about a game, look for something hard to get, they've got you covered. Check them out on their Facebook page and follow them on Twitter at, at The Game Inn, again with two N's, and shoot them a message and drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. Shout out goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff out on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at Song of Day Man. That's with two N's, at Song of Day Man on Twitter. And coming up on Out to Coop Live, just a programming note for this Monday, we will not have a show. And I know it's been a long delay, and I'll talk about that, the reason why for that in just a minute. Um, so we, we're not going to pick up. Um, until the 18th, again, we'll have our next show. And I'm really excited for the show on September 18th at 7 p.m. It's going to be all Bucks County Beacon and independent media. Yes, I'll be joined by the editor-in-chief of the Beacon, Cyril Michaleko, and the Beacon's publisher, Emily Smith. And we're going to be talking about building and supporting independent, progressive local media and the Beacon's plans for the months and the years ahead. And we'll also take maybe a look back at kind of like where they've come. In this short period of time, the amazing work the Beacon has become and how important it has, has kind of really become for everyone who's uh, dealing with this kind of school board craziness um, and all sorts of kind of political actions here um, in Bucks County. Look, everybody, we want a progressive future. We need progressive media. Support Pull No Punches, homegrown progressive media today. Become a patron of Raging Chicken for as little as five bucks a month. Simply go to patreon.com slash rcpress for all the details. We're here for the fight, but we need you. Become a patron for the price of a good beer once a month. Help keep the media in the movement and the movement in the media. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Heading on over to patreon.com slash rcpress today. And I gave her a shout out at the end of uh, the last time we did a show, uh, but I want to get it right at the top of the show. So, um, uh, shout out to our kind of news patron, Danielle. Uh, Danielle, thank you so much for uh, kind of becoming uh, a, a patron. Um, Danielle is a longtime kind of activist who I've known since uh, God back in the uh, the days of the uh, build up to the Iraq War, um, and she was a student activist at Mueller College, um, and now she is running for office um, in uh, Rhode Island. So uh, maybe we'll even get Di Danielle to see if we can get her on the show, talk a little bit about um, how she thinks about. Um, that movement from activism to, um, to running for office. But anyways, thank you, Danielle, for becoming a patron. Um, and uh, we encourage everybody else out there who wants to support independent progressive media, right, right here. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Patreon.com slash RC Press today. All right. Well, everybody, um, you know, thank you for uh, your notes. Thank you for your emails. Um, kind of question like, hey, what's going on? Uh, we haven't heard you from a while. Um and we just give you a kind of just a little sense of like what, what has gone on. Uh, nothing, nothing like nothing horrific in terms of say political or anything like this. It was much more kind of personal. Um, that uh, so as you know, it was the beginning of the um, uh, it was the beginning of the school year this year and my school year begins, you know, the, the 28th right there at the same day that um, uh, the school district around here um, started. So it was the beginning of the school year. Um, so that was a little jumbled, kind of making sure that my kids are ready for school and all other kind of stuff. Um, but the, the, the unexpected news was, or happenings, I should say, was that I ended up getting sick on that Monday. 
Um, I've had this, uh, I don't know if anybody's ever had this before, but I've had this, this reoccurring cellulitis in my leg. Uh, I think I've talked about this a little bit on the show before. Um, but this is probably the worst bout I've had of it. Um, and it came, you know, and, and this is the way it's been since, uh, since it, for, once I first got it this last summer, uh, when that was coupled with some kind of other health issues that I was had to grapple with. Um, but it came on super strong. It was probably the worst bout of it that I had. I had like, you know, like pushing 104 degrees fever right off the bat. Um, literally three days, I could not, I could barely, I, you know, I don't want to say I want to go too extreme here, but I could barely put sentences together. I just could not think straight. Um, so for the first time in my entire teaching career, I've been teaching since, you know, as a grad student, I started teaching back in, God, what, um, kind of mid-90s. But then, you know, my first kind of, uh, you know, uh, gig as an adjunct was down at George Washington University and kind of, uh, in 1999 to 2000, um, I have never missed like the first week of, of classes. Um, and, uh, I had no choice. I couldn't go. So this is the first time I ever meet that. So that was kind of, uh, something in of its own right, trying to kind of explain to both, um, you know, my, my chair, my department and my students kind of what was going on, especially when I couldn't think. So that took a lot longer Then that basically, um, it's taken a long time. It's still actually, not completely gone, um, but at least I can think. Um, but uh, it's taken me longer on antibiotics this year than it's ever taken, um, or this time than it's ever taken. And uh, I basically had to, you know, my entire Labor Day weekend was spent uh, kind of having to spend kind of in better with my leg up just to try to kind of, um, you know, urge the healing as quickly as possible. But seems like I'm on the mend now, so hopefully we'll kind of get back to it. So I apologize for all of you or kind of like look forward to the show. Um, but I also appreciate y'all reaching out and kind of saying, hey, everything okay? Um, and let me know what's going on. Um, so thanks, everybody. Um, on that note, um, on the note of kind of people reaching out, I also want to give uh, a shout out to, we'll call, we'll call this a kind of a mailbag segment. And, you know, again, look, you ever got questions, you got ideas, you got things, you got feedback you want to give, you can kind of you know, hit me up at RagingChicken at gmail, uh, RagingChickenPress at gmail.com. Um, please feel free to email me. I'd love to hear it. You can also head on to our Discord server, which I put a link in today's show um, to continue the conversation. Um, we've had some conversations now that are, gonna, are picking up lately um, um, this this week, which is great. Um, that's something that I want to do going forward is to spend a little bit more time on Discord and building that community there, especially given the kind of like, like you know, disastrous um, uh, social media scape right now, but as it were. Uh, but uh, Mark had reached out to me um, here, and I wanted to read. Um, um, I, I want to read a little bit about um, this note. He said, "I'm a Penridge parent and recent, uh, relatively new listener to your podcast. I went to a school board meeting on Monday. Um, this is this is kind of back um, uh, last week, uh, and I've had to, uh, and I have to, and I have you to thank for that. Well, you and the effing school board. Uh, I thought you would uh, want to know it was introduce your podcast through some of the uh, short school board meeting highlight videos you posted a couple months ago when this whole Jordan Adams thing started. I think they're a really easy way for me and who's not really on social media to consume and share both the ridiculous, also the inspiring things that happen at board meetings. I hope that you will consider making more of these short videos because I have and we'll continue to share them. Um, I also hope this doesn't sound like I'm trying to tell you how to do your job, right? But not at all, Mark. Um, uh, but I heard a bunch of thoughtful and inspiring comments on that Monday night meeting. Um, and he said, look, if it's not buried in a, a four hour YouTube video, that'd be a great way to spread the word about this. Um, thank you so much for that, Mark. And let me just tell you this, and this is for everybody too as well. My full intention um, at that meeting at the, the, the 28th 
um, was to do exactly what Mark suggests here. Um, and that's what I want to do going forward um, is to do that kind of breaking up and provide um, the short clips and the short videos that will be loaded to our YouTube channel um, of the public comment and maybe some highlights of the meeting. Um, there's, you know, at, you know, look, I'm, we're right at this point right now where, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I hate to make this all about funding, but it's true. I mean, um, one uh, is that what I really would love, right, um, is to be able to uh, have a, a partner in this, you know, um, to basically someone that would be help, willing to help me break up those videos, um, help to kind of um, take that four hour thing and to kind of take out, especially the public comment section. Um, and break out those videos so we can upload them and get them out to people ASAP. I will do that on my own, right, um, until I, I can find some additional help. Um, but, you know, I'll tell you right now, um, at this point, you know, I'm looking for volunteers. Um, if we're able to kind of build out our membership base a little bit better, right, we able to kind of have even more patrons kind of come and join the show, um, then, you know, I, my full intention would be to kind of have some sort of kind of, you know, say like monthly stipend or something like this, um, at least to um, kind of acknowledge the work that goes into this. So, um, but that's definitely what I want to do. And um, Mark, I appreciate you taking the time to kind of write us here. Um, and I apologize. I didn't get right back to you, but like I said, I was in the midst of a, uh, 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 of, fever dream stupor <laughs> for that week. Um, so as it were, but I wanted to give you a shout out in the show today because I really appreciate it. Um, so yeah, let's kind of um, dig in. So that's basically what's been going on here. Um, and uh, I, I'm also thinking about just, I, I hate to do all this programming note stuff right at the top of the show, but it's one of these things where I've been really thinking a lot about the Friday show and also the political moment, right? Where, um, in the past and kind of how this show, the Friday show um, was initially designed is like when Sean Kitchen, Sean Kitchen, who's now works for the Keystone Newsroom out in Harrisburg, uh, he was my assistant editor and he was my co-host for our Friday show. And the way that we used to break up the show was that we have a first segment, we kind of pick out some national stories that we want to kind of like dig into. We saw particular kind of trajectories that we want to follow. And then a second segment of the show was devoted to PA politics. And Sean was really the guy who was, uh, you know, he was fully dug in and tapped in um, to what was happening kind of behind the scenes. Um, and there was up and coming in Harrisburg politics. And it was a, an incredible service, right? I mean, it was like, and, and the show, you know, again, I, I think both of us really enjoyed the show. Um, that became after, a, you know, when he got a different job, first with PA Spotlight and now with, um, Keystone Newsroom. He got a job at the PA Spotlight. Um, he had a meeting schedule that kind of conflicted with the Friday show, plus his workload just kind of kind of increased. Um, so he could no longer do the show, and that was like for me that was a real loss, right? Because I mean, number one, I just love talking with Sean, and uh, I love that kind of format for that show. Um, but that was just not something that um, he could continue doing. Um, and frankly, my the time slots that I have where I can kind of you know, do this show are very limited. I mean, that's why we do it on Fridays. So. So anyways, so try to kind of keep it on. We know at Amy Connect, um, we had her on as a guest host kind of, um, say, multiple times. Um, and um, the idea, you know, kind of bringing kind of guest host here and there to do a similar kind of thing. Uh, when Amy and I would do the show, it would, have, it would have a different valence. We'd have much more focus just what was going on here in Bucks County um, and so on. And so there's all that. So I'm thinking about a couple things. Would love your feedback on this stuff, right? Um, so um, my... 
my thought is, and I was listening, I was going back and listening to some of the of the more recent shows, the Friday shows, and my tendency I noticed was to do this headlines, right? To go through some of the kind of key headlines of the week, um, talk a little bit about that, um, but then to kind of focus in on a couple stories. Um, and so I think that's one of the possibilities about where this um, where this uh, Friday show will go, and. Um, in particular, what I was thinking about for the Friday show was um, going into something kind of a more detail is really focused on right now, at least, especially as we're kind of approaching school board elections, really focus on what's happening here in Bucks County um, around these school districts and some of the organizing stuff and some of the extremism. here. So to kind of dig into maybe a couple articles in here and we'll kind of preview a version of that today, I guess, um, what we might do. The other option um, is to... Uh, you know, or maybe coupled with this, maybe alternating weeks or something like this. I don't know how this goes, but I've also been really thinking about it'd be awesome if I get folks from Bucks County right, for the second part of the show that are kind of involved either with the organizing or where they're teachers or where they're, they're kind of union organizers or their parents in the district, um, people that are going to school boards to come on the show um, for like, you know, after we do kind of the headlines, but then the really focus would be having someone else on the show on Fridays um, to do this. The, 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 the only problem with doing that, of course, is that um, this is, you know, a Friday show, the Friday morning show where uh, a lot of people are working. So they don't have that flexibility to be able to spend that time on Fridays. Um, so then there's the possibility of maybe doing a, a pre-record for the second part of the show after we do some headlines and then play that interview or something like that. So that's some of the little bit what's been going through my mind. I mean, this is, I, you know, again, spending a lot of time on the on, kind of on my back and in bed for like a week and week plus really. Uh, it's giving me time to think about this and trying to make this um, show as useful as it possibly can um, to the community, because I think that's going to be uh, and has continued to evolve to be the, um, the purpose of what we do here. Um, the work that we've been doing with uh, the Bucks County Beacon um, is part of that. You know, I was I, I'm always and you've heard me say this before on the show. I'm always wishing that I had more time to really devote to um, for doing this work. Um, and as much as in my, in my brain, you know, I think like, oh, good, the summer when I'm not teaching, then I can really devote to this stuff. But of course, the summer also means that, you know, my kids are home and I'm doing things with my kids. So it's like, um, it's all that. So I'm always, you know, wishing that um, there was kind of more time to really dig in and develop this. So what we're going to try to slowly build out what we have, right? Um, continue to doing the work with Bucks County Beacon, um, working with them, like I said, on their new show, um, the Civic Circle, that kind of Gen Z oriented podcast. Um, three, the three women who are, um, uh, who are hosting that show and are, are kind of running that show are, are just amazing. Uh, you got to check out the interview that, um, that Cyril did with them. Um, and it was just launched this past week for the signal. Um, just great about a little bit about their backgrounds, a little bit about what they're hoping for the show. Um, great introduction. So, um, there you have it. Um, Hey everybody. Yeah. Yep. Hello. Hello. How's it going? How's it going? Um, one of the things that um, I'll just, well, I, I don't want to get too much on my plate, so I'm going to stop with that. So uh, so a couple of things, like one thing that, uh, you know, look in kind of today's headlines, um, uh, what I really want to, you know, give a, a, a big kind of shout out to Chris Rodkey once again for um, putting some info on this. I want to shine a little bit of a light on this. Um, is uh, there's this Christian nationalist dominionist conference uh, kind of in York this weekend. Um, and um, 
um, Chris and I were back and forth in our Discord, and he was kind of he's the one he's the reason, only reason I know about this stuff. It's the first I heard about this stuff, which shows, you know, again the lack of kind of mainstream reporting on um, these kind of events or a kind of dismissal of them as if they're just kind of like some sidebar conversation when we know that the work of these Christian nationalists and these dominionists have been um, part and parcel of why we have seen these extremist currents on our school boards, right? Um, uh, Jenny Cohen has done phenomenal reporting on this uh, for the Bucks County Beacon. And we've seen kind of, uh, you know, we've had folks on the show here um, talk about that history of this kind of religious extremism. Um, um, So, you know, this is this is kind of really important. So Chris alerted this to me, and um, this is some of the things, and this I'm reading from the post that he put up on his Facebook page that he directed me to. Um, this is kind of what this conference entails, right? First of all, it's the, it says uh, the big event, right? That's what the flyer says. It says faith, family, and freedom of your county, right? It's being held at the Praise Community Church, and that begins at um, 6 p.m. tonight. Right. And there is kind of uh, pastors. There's going to be uh, district attorney Dave Sunday. Um, he's going to be talking about redemption and accountability. Um, we've got uh, Chris Marola from Faith and Freedom Coalition of PA that's going to be talking about the five pillars of socialism, because, of course, you know, whatever. State Representative Wendy Fink, which I mentioned in today's uh, um, and her staff will be there on talking about how to build a community action team at your church. Um, this has been a long-established pattern uh, among the religious right is to use the churches as their kind of ground game and their basis of support in communities um, to organize around, um, you know, uh, Christian nationalism. There's going to be a pro-life panel, of course, featuring a whole bunch of pro-life organizations. Um, yes, and the PA Family Institute, of course, who has been wreaking havoc in our schools will be there. Uh, also, there's going to be a representative, a PA representatives panel, which includes obviously Wendy Fink, um, Joe D'Orsi and Dawn Kiefer. Uh, there's going to be some grassroots leaders and there's going to be some more prayer stuff. Um, then on Saturday um, from 9 to 12, they're going to be having kind of more of this stuff. You have the Patriot Academy, which is an academy, which is basically going to be teaching folks about how to kind of quote unquote use constitutional issues um, to kind of and education, which is be, it's a training panel. Um, you're going to have folks from, you know, more pastors from this organization you know, um, abortion abolitionists that will be there. Um, you're going to have these concerned women for America, which we've also highlighted, which we've seen now emerge as um, yet another one of these Moms for Liberty type organizations that's pushing from the religious right. Um, and then it's going to close it all out by the PA family talking about sexual identity and gender in schools. Right. So there is a literal two day training event that is happening out in New York right now. Uh, about kind of like bringing together these um, kind of religious nationalist activists um, and st- training them on how to go out. What are the next round of arguments um, that will be going out into our schools and our communities? Um, it's a real, it's, it's a big deal, <laughs> right? To say the least. Um, I want to give you some little background. As Again, this is thanks to Chris Rodkey. Um, so remember some of the organizations that I just mentioned, the PA Family Institute, they're an affiliate of the nationally recognized hate organization and whose legal affiliate wants to use your school district to pay its legal bills. We've seen that happening right in our backyard, backyard in here in Bucks County. The PA Family Institute um, has been instrumental in uh, funding our, some of the legal stuff and providing legal counsel, free legal counsel to the Bucks, um, Central Bucks School District, right, in terms of trying to pushing their policies against LGBTQ youth. 
Um, there's an activist here that's called Tapatha V, right? Um, and this is what Chris says, a strangely abbreviated name for local free PA leader. Free PA, which Mike Jones claims to have missed so many votes in Harrisburg to help start, is now listed as a hate organization by the Southern Poverty um, Law Center, right? So this Tabitha V, which is speaking there, is again, part of a hate organization that's recognized by the Southern Poverty Law Center as a hate organization. She will be there to help train people how to be a community activist. Tammy Hartlob is a medical director, that's big quotes around that, of the PA Economic um, Growth Pack, whose blog posts are fodder for medical ethics classes in Central PA, crazy Tony Shoup, she's an imagination engineer for the Audit the Vote PA. Remember them? They're looking to undermine the vote in Pennsylvania. Heather Honey, it will be there on election integrity, and she's the one of the participants in the fraud allegations in in, uh, in Arizona. Um, and then she he can just go down the list. But this is all kind of uh, absolutely critical, right? Um, this is going to be held at a church, right? And it's at Representative Joe DiOrzo's church, right? Um, so again, the bond between government and religion is strong at this thing. Um, and uh, that's what's going to happen. The big question is, is that is this going to kind of like break the surface of mainstream reporting? Let folks know that this is coming, right? At the very least, we need to know this in our communities, right? That this kind of organization, this kind of stuff is going on and um, they're preparing, right? So we should be under absolutely zero illusions that um, um, that this, this extremism has gone away. I didn't mention this at the top of the, um, at the, oops, here at the top of these. Let me see if I can download some more. Um, so I didn't mention it in the headlines today. Uh, Chris also alerted to say that, um, that uh, there is yet another conference that is coming up, right? And this is called the Liberty Pastors event. And this is happening at the end of the month, September uh, 25th to 28th. And they call it a pastor training camp. And that is going to be held at the Hershey Hotel in Pennsylvania uh, from September 25th to the 28th. Right? And if you want to know a little bit about what that is, let me see if I can, uh, the font's a little small here, but I'm going to see if I can blow this up so I can read a little bit. Well, it's going to be basic training on how to become a black-robed preacher leader in the 21st century. This is pretty freaking um, crazy stuff. They're saying that this is for pastors and their wives, and they want to say, what part of your life is Jesus not Lord over, right? At the core of this, this is another one of these dominionist training camps, right? They're kind of educating people about how to go after these kind of the seven mountains, right? As we've talked about on this show, as Jenny Cohen has reported on extensively for the beacon, um, again, to provide this training. So that is two events, right? In central Pennsylvania, um, at, well, not even central Pennsylvania, kind of more kind of central Eastern, Southeastern, central Eastern Pennsylvania um, that uh, are gearing up um, for these elections and do not be, you know, you should not, or I should say, you should not be surprised that this is happening right before um, the school board elections this November, right? So November 7th is this year's elections. Uh, school boards are up for, are up for grabs. Um, here in Bucks County, this is, you know, um, both in Central Bucks and at, uh, I mean, Penridge in my school district. Um, certainly, we know the implications of this. We're seeing inroads that these, uh, these extremists are making both in Southerton and in the Quakertown area, Pensbury and so on. Um, this is the kind of stuff that we have to be, you know, 
be vigilant about um, one letting letting ourselves know about this, sharing kind of what these plans are. Um, try to point, shine a light on what these folks are doing so that we can so that our, our broader community becomes aware of these things. Um, but also as kind of the, a constant reminder that you know these folks are coming for our schools, they're coming for our media, they're coming for um, all those things that we see as kind of central to um, a kind of a vibrant kind of multi-ethnic, multicultural democracy. So um, I want to definitely um, shine a light on that one before uh, we got too far into it. All right, so I'm going to tell you what. So we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back here, we're going to dig a little bit into the Hillsdale curriculum, and we're going to talk about um, what just happened at Penridge, um, and then um, kind of uh, prepare for, you know, yet another meeting coming up this Monday, uh, which more decisions are going to be, make, be made about the shape of the curriculum at uh, Penridge School District. All right, this is Kevin Mahoney, uh, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. Uh, we want to remind you, you can help support the show, becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress today. We'll be back right after this quick break. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. This day in labor history, the year was 1941. The ravages of World War II had swept across Europe. German troops had invaded Norway in April of 1940. The conditions of the Nazi occupation grew increasingly harsher. The Nazis began rationing milk, an important part of the diet of Norwegian children and workers. The rationing, however, did not apply to the German occupiers. Angered shipyard workers in Oslo walked off the job in protest. Workers from other industries joined them. 20,000 workers from 50 factories and work sites participated in the strike. The Nazi response to the uprising was predictably swift and brutal. 200 labor leaders were arrested and new Nazi chosen leaders put in their places. 27 of the arrested labor leaders and strikers were brought before a court-martial trial. Rolf Wickstrom, a welder and union steward, and Harold Vigo Hanstein, a labor lawyer, were sentenced to death for their involvement in the strike and executed. The remaining 25 strikers were convicted and sentenced to long prison sentences. Ludwig Bulin, a union railway worker, died while serving his prison sentence. So did Harry Vesley, a factory worker. Journalists were fired or arrested. Even groups like the Boy Scouts were banned. Listening to foreign broadcasts on the radio were expressly forbidden. Then radios were confiscated. In Sweden, trade unionists issued this statement in support of their fellow Scandinavian workers. They wrote quote, Norwegian trade unionists have fallen in the battle for Norway's freedoms and for the right of the Norwegian working class to decide for itself its own actions with the limits of Norwegian law. We honor their memory. In 1948, a memorial was placed to honor the deaths of Wickstrom and Hanstein and the workers who stood up for their country. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken, here for this week's Friday Politics Roundup. The second half of the show, as I was saying before the break, is that we're going to dig a little bit into um, the Penridge, or, or the Hillsdale curriculum, is what we're actually looking at here in Penridge. Um, 
I wanted to um, maybe start off a little bit. Like, like I said, my, I, I, I can't remember if I mentioned this on the show last time I did the show or not. My original plan on August 28th, when we had the, um, when I, when I got sick, that was the night of the school board meeting that passed the Hillsdale curriculum. My original intention was to go to the school board meeting early. Um, I know there were folks that were going to be gathering um, in a kind of a rally protest uh, ahead of the meeting, informational picket, if you will, that kind of thing. Um, and my my plan was to interview folks, right? Um, to interview folks, to hear folks before they kind of went into the meeting, um, and to bring some of those kind of um, those discussions and those interviews into the show on Monday night. Um, that obviously didn't happen because I got sick, um, but I was, you know, it was a huge bummer to me because I I, I was really looking forward to. I thought that would have been um, kind of really important. I wanted to hear how folks were thinking about this going in. Now, of course, the uh, the minority, or I'd say the majority, the ruling majority on the school board, um, want to remind everybody once again that the entire school board is composed of Republicans. Um, we can we can argue about Ron Wirtz. Uh, he's the one person who's been a lifelong Republican who's actually switched his registration to um, become Democrat because he's so disgusted what's happening um, with the local Democratic Party. I mean, I'm sorry, the local, local Republican Party, um, maybe even county party or maybe even statewide party. I'm not sure how he thinks about that, but at least for local election purposes, he's now switched his registration as a Democrat. Um, that's, you know, so we can, you know, say, okay, maybe there's one Democrat on it. But this guy is a lifelong Republican and he has been. Um, so the ruling kind of, kind of, you know, kind of really, uh, I don't know what you want to call these folks, right? I mean, I'm finding, I don't know about you, but I'm finding over and over again, this idea about, you know, calling them extremists, calling them kind of far right and all this kind of stuff doesn't really capture the core of like what these folks are actually doing in this. I mean, these folks are kind of, you know, these are like, you know, like wrecking balls. I mean, they are, you know, I don't know, lack of a better term, you know, these are, uh, kind of insurgents that are seeking to overturn kind of the democratic politics of uh, a democratic ethos of our schools, right? Um, the the whole idea of the purpose of public education, they want to kind of revert to a more authoritarian, um, dictatorial type of um, approach to schooling where the school board gets to decide what every kid learns, decide which kids count, um, decide which kids get to have the education that they all deserve and which kids don't, right? Um, so there's that. So they passed that curriculum, right? Um, there were some modifications of what happened to the, um, to the curriculum. They are postponing the full, um, uh, the full launch of the Hillsdale curriculum in the K through six until next year. So teachers can prepare. Um, however, they went ahead and imposed a new curriculum in the social studies for the ninth grade at the high school um, and um, in the English curriculum. And maybe some of you who were at the meeting or some of you who have been following this, I, I believe, at, uh, in the seventh and eighth grade, right? Um, the English curriculum in the seventh and eighth grade. Um, I've already seen the indirect impacts of this. Um, my understanding is also in seventh grade English is that um, one of the books that was um, supposedly was going to be taught this year um, was now just nixed by the school board. And now that's a new book is going to have to go up for approval before the school board meeting this coming Monday. Um, but they are seeking to change what students can read, what they have access to, and the range of perspectives that are allowed 
into our schools. Um, in the ninth grade social studies curriculum, um, um, my son is just starting this year. Um, he's just starting in the high school. And already the um, social studies faculty there, uh, the teachers there, are already saying, look, we're, we have to figure this out because this curriculum was literally dropped on us like at the very beginning of the school year. Um, and all the curriculum, the integrated work they have done. And, you know, I, I have to say this. I went to, you know, we go to the kind of back to school nights or orientation for parents and stuff like this. And, you know, we always go. And uh, I, I will reiterate this again and again and again. I am just absolutely floored with how awesome the teachers are um, at Penridge. Um, I, I, I'm humbled in many ways um, about how invested, enthusiastic they are about teaching our kids, um, even as the, the, they've been assaulted, literally, right? I, I mean, professionally assaulted um, in terms of their control over the curriculum. If it's a school board that's imposing on a curriculum at the last minute, which is wreaking hell with their lives, I can't imagine, right, what it's got to be like to be this. And yet, when I'm sitting there and I'm, we're going to these back-to-school nights and we're sitting with these teachers and they're talking about the curriculum, it's like as if we're that did not even exist, right? They already are talking about specific things that they're doing with their kids. And let's be clear, this past week in Penridge, I know this is other school districts too as well, and let's see, was it? Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday um, ended up being half days this week because of excessive heat. All right, did I get that right? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Was it Tuesday too? I'm pretty sure. We're like half days because of excessive heat. So some of these teachers had didn't get to see their classes, right? Especially those teachers in the afternoon for the first part of the week. And then they did this abbreviated schedule to try to catch up on some of the content. So they did and despite that. All I got from these teachers was enthusiasm and excitement about working with these kids. I, I'm just, I, I mean, I can't say thank you enough to these teachers and all the more reason why we deserve their, you know, deserve to be supporting them 100%. Also, I should also say, we also got word that there was a tentative agreement um, that, was, um, that was reached between the school board and um, the uh, Penridge Education Association, the faculty union. Um, I personally have not yet seen the details of that contract. I have not heard from teachers about what they think about that contract. Um, I did kind of post some notes and sent some uh, kind of well wishes out there saying, hoping it's the contract they deserve. Um, and, uh, but we don't know. Um, we've, you know, as I've said on the show, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a union guy to my core, right? I believe that we should have kind of like, you got a workplace, get a union. You got a boss, get a union. Right. Because I believe in democracy. Right. I believe the people who work at a place. Right. Should have a kind of direct impact and a governing say on what they do. Right. I don't care if we're talking about, you know, if you're an Amazon worker in a warehouse there. Right. Or if you're talking about teachers in the schools. Right. Doesn't matter to me. Right. Is that you should because you are the ones who are. I mean, without the people working. <laughs> right. There is no company. Without the teachers teaching, there are no schools, right? And these are the people that are closest to the, the, the workings of that organization. Everyone else, what management is concerned with, right, 
on the for-profit side, they're interested in kind of keeping labor costs down, keeping costs down so that they can reap more profit for themselves, a.k.a. let's look at Jeff Be- Be- Bezos sending his kind of like phallic rockets to near space, right? That's what they want, right? Workers want safe working conditions. They want to kind of, a, a, they want a living wage, right? They want to be paid for it. They want basically some of the profit that they are producing, right? They believe they deserve that because they're the ones who are making it happen. They don't believe that they should go out and kind of when they're delivering packages for Amazon, that they should have to pee in the plastic bottles. They should believe they should have like legitimate bathroom breaks, right? That's why workers, workers should have that kind of say. And I, it, it's incredible to me that we're at a point in our country where anybody would even question that that was something that would be um, uh, like a legitimate, you know, demand, right? And when it comes to teachers, teachers are trained to teach, right? They go into that profession. They are trained to this. They get master's degrees in their field to kind of expand their content and to focus on their areas of study, right? And then they bring that to the classroom and kind of put together a curriculum, yes, within guidelines of this kind of state curriculum and things like that, but they put together curriculums that work. And what I, get, what I took away from those meetings with those with the teachers these past, this past week was that I can't believe like how integrated they are, how much they work together, the amazing programs that they kind of work by just kind of like team teaching across areas, right? Between English and social and social studies and hearing kind of the like biology teachers talking about what's happening in math and what's happening in social sciences, what's happening to humanities and seeing these intersections of it. It just, it's, it's wonderful to see, right? And it's amazing that they've been able to kind of keep that degree of morale um, in the face of what's been going on in these school districts. So there's that. So that that's been integrated, that's been or has been integrated yet. It's been it's been mandated um, that our kids um, learn a very specific perspective on um, things. So I want to give this a shout out. Um, Sean Kitchen, who I talked about at the beginning of the show, Sean Kitchen um, now works for the Keystone Newsroom in Harrisburg. And uh, I was glad to finally see that um, what's happening in Penridge is getting some coverage there. So I thought, you know, it's a way of one, giving Sean a little bit of a shout out, but also to see how this is kind of getting covered um, kind of in our, um, um, in our, in some of the media. Now um, he refers to this um, popular info newsletter, which I'll, which I also have here too as well, which I'm going to kind of talk in a little bit more detail, but this is Sean's little bit write up. He says students in the Penridge school district just outside of Philadelphia are going to get a dose of right-wing propaganda in their social studies classes this school year. The popular information newsletter reported Thursday that the Penridge school board approved a social studies curriculum last week that will require teachers to use lessons from the 1776 curriculum which was developed by Hillsdale College, a private right-wing Christian school. The college has become a key part of the Republicans' efforts to overhaul K-12 education in America and redirect it in an overtly conservative direction. The curriculum was developed by Jordan Adams, who is the owner of Vermilion Education. Um, um, prior to starting Vermilion in 2022, Adams worked as a civic education specialist at Hillsdale College that was part of the school, um, school's leadership team working to expand a network of charter schools across the country and using the Hillsdale 1776 curriculum. And he talks in the Adams contract and so on like this, right? So, and then it kind of goes on. Uh, so let's see. Um, what's that? So that's it. So I wanted to show Sean's thing for a couple of reasons. One, number one, I, again, so thrilled that it's finally actually kind of getting some coverage beyond what we've been able to do here in, in, in the county. As I've said on this show and elsewhere, you know, Central Buck School District has gotten a, a ton of uh, a ton more 
attention. It's not, I still think it deserves more, um, in part because that's the third largest school district in, in Pennsylvania. It's got lots of kind of like powerful connections to kind of New York City in terms of media, in terms of the arts world and the culture world and things like this. It's got kind of like an iconic um, connection to those circles. And so therefore it gets this, um, um, it, it gets kind of more attention. Um, Plus, you just happen to have Paul Martino, you know, that kind of uh, the, um, the failed restaurant owner and kind of multi-million dollar, dollar multi-millionaire who's dumped tons of money into school boards, $10,000 at a pop. He also has kids in that district, which kind of produced that kind of story. But what's happening at Penridge, right, uh, is potentially kind of even more significant long term because you're talking about the complete takeover of the curriculum. The other part I want to mention about Sean's piece, which is an excellent piece, right? It's a short piece, but it's an excellent piece. The one thing I want to mention about it, if you notice what he's doing in here, right, he's basically educating people on what everyone here already knows, right? Um, and this also points to one of the problems that we have in kind of, say, the media coverage of uh, what's happening in the Penridge School District as well as the rest of Bucks County, right, is that it's just now that people are getting up to speed on what has actually happened. It's only well after the fact, right? So Sean in this piece actually has to go through and explain, right? Like some of the key things that we're already well-versed at here in Bucks County, right? And if you kind of put yourself like in like, you know, any other place within the state, right? Or through the Commonwealth, right? Not to mention the region or not to mention the nation, right? People are gonna be very unfamiliar with what goes on. So kudos to Sean, but also it shows you that, you know, as much as we are steeped in this here in Bucks County, um, the rest of the Commonwealth and the rest of the region um, is not as tapped in, right? We need more articles like this um, from there. Now, look, you got Maggie Hannon down at the Philadelphia Inquirer, right? And she's been covering this to some degree. Um, but I'll also say, you know, that um, the, other, the other aspect of um, uh, Maggie Hannon's coverage is that, you know, it's very much reporting what happened, Right. Um, it's less analysis, less investigative work and more about reporting what is kind of happening. I think she's doing a great job at that. Um, but we've you know, when when um, for whatever reason, I don't know the internal workings of WHYY. Um, but um, I, I have, you know, no idea uh, why Emily Rizzo was taken um well, I don't know if she was taken off the case, but I don't know why Emily Rizzo's uh, reporting on what was happening at Central Bucks and the school board, what was happening in Penridge. I don't know why that suddenly stopped. Right. And she's no longer kind of like uh, kind of doing this stuff. I certainly know that her reporting was absolutely phenomenal. It did it had deep roots. It was uh, kind of doing the investigative work. She was doing the explanatory work in that. Um, but for whatever reason, um, that's no longer there. So Maggie Hanna has had to kind of pull up that. And a lot of what she's doing is kind of reporting on what happened. Again, that's not the fault of reporting. That's just to say that it's a more descriptor of what she's doing. We also have to find ways of breaking through into kind of that mainstream media, that broader media of coverage, which is going to do more of that explanatory work and then talking about what this means, not just for Penridge, but for public schools and, what, and that kind of movement as we move toward the elections. You know, you know as well as I do that people don't pay attention as much to school board elections, um, but nonetheless, um, they need to <laughs> because what's happening in Penridge is this is the test case, as I say this over and over again. This is the first time a for-profit Christian nationalist-influenced organization has been brought in to change public school curriculum, right? 
I am still, you know, I've, I've been poking around. I've been asking some folks around. And I don't know whether this is going to happen or not, but it seems to me there's got to be some kind of lawsuit that's involved in here. I mean, I really want to see the ways in which that this curriculum is somehow going to be in accordance with uh, the PA standards. I want to see kind of where that, um, what's going to happen. I want to like look at, well, how is this going to impact kind of the, the further classes these students are going to take? Is this going to influence what their abilities are going to be and their abilities to take AP classes or, or APs and score well on the AP exam if there's been parts of the curriculum that has been stripped away? So we shall see. Um, Sean mentions in this piece this uh, article uh, from Popular Info. This is by Judd Legume and Rebecca Crosby. Um, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, Emily, Emily just kind of um, has a comment, and she says, uh, Randy Weidengarten, she's the, uh, the head of the AFT, the president of the American Federation of Teachers. To be clear, the American Federation of Teachers is, a, um, is the kind of national organization for um, the uh, you know, AFT locals. Uh, Penridge and Bucks County are in, with PSEA, right, uh, the National Education Association. That's a different organization, just, just for clarification purposes. But this is a great point. Um, Emily says, Randy Weingarten was not harsh enough on Moms for Liberty during an interview on C-SPAN. It didn't call them out for lying about their grassroots origins. Disappointing. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And Ross, Ross says, lawsuits, question mark? Hush, yes, several. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine these things are going forward. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, there's, there has to be. And I really do believe that these lawsuits um, that um, – that may be going forward are going to be the only, um, you know, the only recourse that we have um, since this board is dominated by people that are supportive of the Hillsdale curriculum. Now, even though, right, even though we've seen there's this split on the board, we have the kind of, I'll say the extremist faction, the QAnon, the Moms for Liberty faction, right, that faction over there, which has pushed through these, um, these changes, right? Um, but as Joan Cullen, um, the former um, the former president of, the, of the, the school board, as Joan Cullen herself, who's, who has been against this quick push to here, Joan Cullen has said in multiple meetings that she is the one that wanted to look into um, having the Hillsdale curriculum brought into Penridge School Board as a quote-unquote overlay, whatever the hell that means, right? So content-wise, in terms of what the Hillsdale curriculum is about, um, there is broad agreement, right? Maybe with the exception of Ron Wirtz, but there's broad agreement across all those Republicans on that board in the Hillsdale curriculum. What um, brought this to a head so quickly was there has been a disagreement, a pretty serious disagreement and arguments um, among these factions of Republicans on the board um, about how to best proceed and about whether or not this guy needs to be hired, right? From an out this outside guy of Vermont. So all that stuff, we've talked about this stuff before. But Sean mentions this um, this piece from um, pop, uh, Popular Info, right? Um, uh, I think it's from the Substack, and this is a piece by Judd Legum, uh, Jug Legum, Legum, uh, and Rebecca Crosby. Okay, so uh, I, I want to dig into this a little bit. I want to read a little bit of of this with you, um, and you know, again, feel free, uh, kind of, and if you're watching this live um, on YouTube, if you've got things you want to add, things you think are kind of important that we. Um, kind of include as part of this podcast, please feel free to do that. That'd be fantastic. Um, and throughout this week, you know, I think I'm going to post these documents also up on our um, uh, on our Discord. So if people want to kind of continue some of the discussion around that, um, I might set this up as a separate channel uh, within our Discord that will kind of be kind of accumulating these stories. All right. So we'll have a place um, where we can put that. 
um, there. So this piece is called Pennsylvania School District Requires Social Studies Classes to Incorporate Right-Wing Propaganda. So it was last Monday, the public uh, Penridge School Board outside of Philadelphia imposed a new social studies curriculum that will require teachers to incorporate lessons from the 1776 curriculum, a controversial 12, uh, K-12 through course of study developed by Hillsdale College, a private Christian institution that promotes right-wing ideologies. The curriculum was developed in part by Jordan Adams, an educational consultant with no experience developing curricula for public schools. Adam launched his company, Vermilion Education, in March 2023. Um, initially that was kind of closer to, he started doing that actually closer to December 2022, but that's, we'll get it, put aside it. The Penridge School Board hired Adams in April, paying him $125 per hour for his services, and the contract included no limit on the number of hours, no specific deliverables, and no termination date. Goes in a little bit about um, um, his background, right? As we all know now, on July 1st, in a private presentation to Moms for Liberty, a far-right organization that pushes for changes in educational policy, Adams described himself as a, quote, fox in the hen house. And he bragged that, quote, the right people are freaking out, unquote, about his contract with the Penridge schools. And as a few months ago, Adams had no other public school clients. I also want to give a shout out here to the Bucks County Beacon, because the reason that we know that about his comments about there was because of um, the Bucks County Beacon got a copy of the audio of the audio from that presentation that was leaked to the Buck County, Bucks County Beacon that they published on their website. That's what made that publicly available thanks to the Bucks County Beacon, the reporting that they're doing. Says, Although Adams has not, um, does not have the qualifications to write curriculum, it was revealed during a Penridge School Board meeting on August 21st that Adams independently wrote aspects of the new social studies curriculum. This is after right, um, the public were told that Adams is not writing the curriculum. Then it became clear that he is. Adams' proposed curriculum faced um, uh, proposed curriculum faced opposition from several members of the Penridge School Board and the district's own academic experts. Jenna Vitali, the K through 12 social studies supervisor, cited concerns in a recent school board meeting on the age appropriateness of the elementary curriculum developed by Adams, highlighting the quote lack of the appropriate history background for incoming fourth and fifth graders and the elimination of 19th century U.S. history from the secondary social studies curriculum. Unquote. Right. Why is that 19th century curriculum important? Because that 19th century curriculum, that post-Civil War period, is also the period of Reconstruction. Right. That is the one period in American history where we had a vision of, like, you know, they call it like the second founding. Right. We had the opportunity to have a truly multicultural, multi-ethnic, multiracial democracy. Right. Um, that existed for this flash pan, this flash, like in our history. Um, of what the possibilities could look like before it was crushed. Vitaly also cited um, concerns about Adams' proposal to shift the third grade curriculum from a focus on Native Americans to colonial America, right? One thing I've talked about on this show before, too, as well, is that one of the most significant shifts in terms of what the Hillsdale curriculum proposes is a shift in perspective. Like, who am I, whose lens am I seeing the history through? And over and over again, what the Hillsdale Cricket wants you to do is put yourself in the shoes of white settlers, right? So the difference is, is that in a focus on Native Americans, right, part of what that focus is, is on put basically from the perspective of Native American cultures. What were their traditions about? How was their self-organized? How did they see what these interactions were, right? And there's, that's a different angle of perspective. 
right? So that by including the folks of Native Americans, you're getting to understand those cultures separately from the eyes of the, the, um, the, the, the colonizers, right? If you look at from, from colonial America and the way that the curriculum is written, they want you to think about as the colonists coming in and seeing Native Americans, right? It's a subtle shift, but an important one because it keeps you in that white lens, right? That's part of what um, they're attempting to do. The 1776 curriculum created in response to the New York Times 1619 project claims that it is an accurate and unbiased curriculum that, quote, seeks to tell the entire grand narrative of the American story, unquote. Hillsdale's curriculum, however, includes inaccuracies and skewed interpretations of American history. For example, the Hillsdale curriculum repeatedly suggests that America's founding fathers had deep reservations about slavery. The ninth grade Penridge curriculum, which my son now is forced to inhabit, will require a Hillsdale lesson that encourages students to, quote, consider also that even among the Southern founders who supported slavery or held slaves, several leading founders expressed regret and fear of divine retribution for slavery in America, such as Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, or George Washington, unquote. The curriculum states that, quote, some freed slaves, or some freed their slaves as well, such as George Washington, unquote. The same wording is also included in the required Hillsdale lesson for fourth graders. Again, these are what well, on their surface might appear to be subtle shifts, but they are significant shifts in terms of perspective, especially when you're in a classroom, you're thinking about not only just what are these facts, but how to understand these facts, right? How to understand what this was. If the question is like, uh, okay, some of them express regret, but let's also look at the, the amount of uh, how long they held their slaves. Let's look at the ones who refused to um, get rid of their slaves. Let's the ones that are, how much did they profit off their slaves? Right? How do, they, do people like, you know, James Madison, for example, um, kind of make sure, they wanted to kind of make sure that they, you know, slavery was kind of not written out of the Constitution? Right? Hillsdale's description of the Founding Fathers' views on slavery is highly misleading. In 1781, and this is kind of um, the authors of this, of this publisher, this is a perfect example of the kind of work that we, we're going to be needing to do. Hillsdale's description of the Founding Fathers' view on slavery is highly misleading. In 1781, Jefferson wrote in Notes on the States of Virginia about his belief in the, quote, biological differences between blacks and whites, unquote. Jefferson had also, quote, purported, a purported relationship, unquote, with his slave Hallie, uh, Sally Hemings, and it is believed that he fathered at least some of Hemings' children. While Madison argued that slaves were, quote, were not like merchandise and were not consumed and thus could not be held as property, unquote, Madison chose to not free his slaves and his will, instead leaving them to his wife who, quote, sold them off to pay debts, unquote. While Washington did leave instructions to free his slaves after his death, the instructions also stated that the slaves should not be freed until after his wife had also passed. Washington ordered, quote, he ordered that enslaved man to be whipped for walking on the lawn, unquote, and, quote, aggressively, persu aggressively pursued runaway slaves, unquote. This context is not mentioned in the Hillsdale unit. A required Hillsdale lesson for Penridge school, uh, school District third graders covers, quote, the history of slavery and world history, unquote, and the lesson encouraged teachers to downplay the pre um, prevalence of slavery in America, instead emphasizing slavery in other parts of the world. Quote, overall, of the nearly 11 million Africans who survived being brought to the Western Hemisphere, around 3%, or about 350,000, were brought to the North African continent, 
with the rest of all Africans taking to other colonies in the Caribbean and South America, the lesson states. The 1776 curriculum has garnered criticism from academic experts, quote, what Hillsdale has done is they very, they've simply left stuff out in an attempt to shape a vision of patriotism. James Grossman, the executive director of the American Historical Association, told NBC News, quote, what they are also trying to do is replace an approach to teaching that teaches students how to think with an approach that teaches the students what to think. Exactly. If you are to do history for real, right, not as dogma, not as, as you know, uh, uh, as propaganda, but as history, is like the goal is to try to understand something and understand a period kind of, of history from a range of different perspectives, right? It's not to replace one perspective to the other. Like a lot of what you see what happens to the right wing is they, what they say is that, well, we used to say that, you know, um, the founding fathers were flawless. They were like basically our gods, right? They were our demigods here on earth and, you know, the founding fathers, blah, 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 right? And so only what the founding fathers said it and only what uh, like, like positive representation of what they said were allowed in curriculum. That's certainly how I grew up, right? I mean, we had to figure out the stuff, the other stuff on our own, right? What slowly evolves, where I said, no, a, a more kind of truly historical perspective. Okay, it's not that you get rid of the founding fathers. You know, you say the founding fathers kind of like, you know, didn't exist or didn't write stuff. No, but you look at a broader section of what they, of what they said and what they did. But then you also look at it from a variety of different angles and perspectives, right? You look at the history of kind of so what actually was happening in slavery. There's a ton of kind of amazing historical work on what slavery, what that institution actually was, right? You look at the kind of the, the, the economic perspective, right? About the role that kind of slavery paid, played in building up the wealth of um, what would become, you know, the United States, right? That historical legacy of slavery, right? That was built into the founding kind of like capital accumulation of this country, right? And then you kind of are looking at all this stuff together and then students are asked to critically think, right? And kind of like make sense of all this stuff. You teach them how to deal with the evidence in the context, right? And so that they are, have a rich picture of what happened to be able to form opinions moving, going forward, perspectives and, you know, things moving forward, right? That's what's supposed to happen. Instead, we're seeing this kind of curbing of the language to say, nope, we're not going to teach you how to think about this stuff, right? Or the way that the kind of real history is done. We're going to tell you what to think about them, right? And then we're going to test you to make sure that you got correct what they said, right? A little bit more. During a meeting earlier this month, the Penridge School Board member, Jonathan Russell, asked why the Hillsdale curriculum was listed as required for teachers when the proposed inclusion of Hillsdale lessons was originally pitched by Joan Cullen, originally pitched as an additional resource. Vitaly said that Adams told her and other board members, um, uh, I'm sorry, told, so that Adams told her and other board members, to quote, he asked, quote, asked him to say that it was required. And, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Adams told her, and other board members, quote, asked him to say that it was required. By a five to four vote, the Penridge School Board voted to impose the new ninth, ninth grade curriculum this year. The vote occurred on the first day of school, leaving teachers little to no time to prepare lessons based upon the new guidelines. Vitaly stated that she was, quote, very nervous about teachers not having enough time to prepare lessons for the new curriculum. Right. 
Oh, okay, I promise a little bit more. The 1776 curriculum, this is about Hillsdale Revisionist History, spends considerable time on the meaning behind the statement of the Declaration of Independence, quote, all men are created equal, unquote. A lesson now required for Penridge School District ninth graders instructs teachers to pose the question of, quote, whether women and slaves were included in this understanding of equality, unquote. At the time, women did not have the right to vote, had limited property rights, and married women could not earn their own income. Nevertheless, the Hillsdale lesson argues that, quote, the founders meant that men and women share equally in human dignity and in possession of natural rights or, free or freedoms that are simply part of being human. The lesson claims that despite the limitation on women's rights, quote, what was unique to America was the right to vote um, at all, and then the relatively rapid rate at which the right to vote was expanded to women. The statement, however, is misleading. According to the Pew Research Center, in 1893, New Zealand granted women the right to vote, and, quote, at least 19 other countries also did um, prior to the United States' passage of the 19th, um, 19th Amendment in 1920. The 1776 curriculum also creates justifications for not granting women the right to vote, insinuating that it was logical only to give the franchise to men, as they were the ones who would, quote, would be called to give their lives up for their country. And, quote, had a high personal stake in what the country did regarding various policies, including going to war. Right? And, okay, I'm just going to finish off the article. What am I going to say? Here's the other part of it, right? So let's take a look at this part. So this is re repeats the, this is like Confederacy ideology here, right? For fifth grade, fifth grade. The new curriculum included a Hillsdale lessons on the Civil War that argues that many Southerners believe the Civil War was about states' rights rather than preserving the institution of slavery. The required Hillsdale lesson states that, quote, the majority of Southerners were not slaveholders, and while fighting for their states would preserve slavery, many common Southerners fought for the arguments of states' rights rather than preserve the institution of slavery. That has to do with ideology, right? That has to do the way that slavery... Right? They recognize the arguments for slavery were less popular, right? becoming increasingly less popular during those times. So they began to substitute the language of states' rights. But there is ample historical evidence right, and writing about this that states' rights, what they were arguing for states' rights so that they could control black people and maintain white supremacy. That's what's at its core. That's what has been at its core, and that hasn't changed. So this is a really good piece. Um, again, I'll put a link to this. There is already a link to this in today's show notes. If you're watching, listening on our podcast, I'll try to remember to do it also on our YouTube channel. Um, but again, it's popular.info, popular and the title of the piece is Pennsylvania School District Requires Social Studies Classes to Incorporate Right-Wing Propaganda. And it's by Judd Legume and Rebecca Crosby. Fantastic piece. And I appreciate this report. Um, one other thing that I wanted to mention, and uh, I'm not going to go through and read every part of this, but yes, this is the one part that I want to do. So um, there was a, a fantastic piece in um, the blog, uh, Education, um, and which is one of the best places that you can go to if you want to check out um, what, you know, what's happening in kind of uh, education stuff in here. Oh, let me see. Um, this is um, this is a blog by a guy by the name of Peter Green, who's just uh, he's also got a book 
um, Caravara Nes, but his blog is one of the go-to places for looking at what's happening in uh, analysis, um, what's going on in education. And is, he also does phenomenal work of breaking down some of, um, kind of what we're all facing. Um, back in, well, I want to do this, uh, the date posted this, but uh, I think it was on the 30th. I want to say it was on the 30th of August that he did this, uh, he did a post, it's called What's in Hillsdale's 1776 Curriculum? I'm going to reach out to him and see if I can get him on the blog so we can talk about this. Or get him on the podcast so we can talk about this. Um, as I want to reach out to some other folks too as well to really dig into some of these things. Um, he goes through one after reading all the curriculum. He talks about this. Basically, looks is not really a curriculum. This is a bunch of kind of key lessons and so on. Um, but I, I'll read you this part of it because it's the one thing that I want to kind of point on, um, point to. And then look, people want to kind of pick up and kind of um, discuss this further. And this would be a great thing to uh, kind of really bring to meetings um, that we can explore further on Discord um, that we, you know, might even have additional reading groups, whatever it might be. Um, this is just great stuff to dig into looking for the arguments, try to understand what's actually happening in this Hillsdale curriculum. But getting to the bigger political project here. Right. So after kind of talking a little bit on overview of the curriculum, um, Peter Green writes, in short, this curriculum is long on how and short on what. If I were making my best guess, I would it would be that the quote unquote curriculum here is what many teachers would recognize as the old take this textbook and follow it approach to education. Right. Exactly. It's like a matter of fact, we saw examples of this in the, um, the presentation that Jordan Adams gave before the Penridge School Board. Right. And to the, to the community where here's some kind of guidelines, lessons, and then there were questions to ask students and the appropriate answers to give if students ask questions, right? Or correctives to give to students if they respond incorrectly, right? So there's the correct way of responding, just as like the textbook would have us do, right? And then there's an incorrect way. And teachers are there simply to deliver the content not to actually engage in critical thinking practices with their students, right? That's what the Hillsdale curriculum wants to do. So for the, um, for the littles, uh, Hillsdale likes uh, Land of Hope, an invitation to the great American story um, by Wilford McClay, professor of history um, and the Victor Davis Hanson chair of classical history and Western civilization at Hillsdale College, right? So that's the go-to book, right? They see that's where everything is grounded and they, they refer it all here. And again, We've talked about this dynamic over and over again on the show, right? Over the years, is that the way that the right has built its infrastructure, it's kind of, let's call it its intellectual infrastructure, which includes both, say, academics, includes think tanks, and includes media, right? The way that it has built this stuff is built it to be self-referential, right? So in other words, you have got this kind of, this right-wing school, right? Right-wing college which is going to hire faculty, right? And those faculty are going to have degrees, right? But those faculty are ideologues, right? And they will go through and they will publish books. And they will publish articles. And many of those places that they get published, right, are in right-wing publishers, right? Right-wing journals, right? Right-wing think tanks, right? And so when they go out and they talk to the public, Right? They don't tell you what's happening all behind the scenes and how these are all people pointing to each other. Right? All they do is they say like, oh, Dr. So-and-so or professor of classics says this. For most people right, who are not kind of dug in on all this stuff, 
for most people, when they hear professor or they hear Dr. So-and-so, professor of classics, all they hear is like, oh, this is a person who's supposed to be an expert in that field, right? They might hate faculty. They might hate professors. They might hate educators. They might hate all the kind of pinheads, as they call them, right? They might hate all those things, but they know that, right? They know that there's a credential that it's attached with this, right? And he's a professor at a college, right? Most people, do they know what Hillsdale College is? No. All they know is he's a professor at a college and this is, and he wrote this book. And like, so that gives activists, right-wing activists on the ground, a place to point. They're like, read the book, read the thing. It's documented here. Look at the research. And they hold this up as a way of pointing to this, right? But the goal of the publication of the book itself was originally embedded with that ideological goal, right? To change the way that education happens, right? To teach kids think this one, one quote unquote correct way and not think critically, right? A shift from critical thinking and engagement to propaganda, right? But for most observers, once again, it doesn't appear like that, right? So anyways, so The Land of Hope is published by, this goes right to my point, is published by Encounter Books. Who is Encounter Books? You know, does everybody know? Do you, know, do you neighbors, if you go say, hey, you ever hear of the publisher of Encounter Books? And they're going to be looking at you like, you know, well, why are you asking me this question, right? Unless you're an academic who spends all their time with this or someone who just loves books, you don't pay attention to who the publisher is, right? You just know it's a publisher, Right? Okay, so Land of Hope is published by Encounter Books. That is a conservative book company founded by the Bradley Foundation. Bradley Foundation? Oh, it's a foundation, right? Nonprofit, it's a good place. No, the Bradley Foundation, as we've talked about on the show, is a group, uh, it's a group excellent at funding the think tanks and university programs that provide this intellectual foundation to far-right policy ideas. This is the money train. This is where the bully, billionaires sink their money. These are the Betsy DeVos associated folks, right? The Bradley Foundation has been at this agenda to kind of like use public money to fund religious schools, to fund far right schools and things like this for decades, right? They were instrumental in releasing plans to try to do this in Philadelphia. I mean, this is, they go way back. They're based out of Milwaukee, right? Okay. Bradley Foundation, a group of ex, uh, a, a group excellent at funding the think tanks and university programs that provide the intellectual foundation for far right policy ideas. When the book came out in 2019, that is the Land of Hope, conservative outlets praised it as an alternative. Here's how the National Review summed up the story for America's con, uh, 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 story of America conveyed in the book. Okay, so National Review, long established conservative right wing magazine reviewing this conservative book funded by this kind of far right uh, foundation. Okay. So this is how they said it. They said it, quote, they fought a revolution to preserve an existing culture of self-government and further distinguish themselves by proclaiming their shared ideals. They governed themselves under a constitution designed to put those ideals into action. When tested by slavery, expansion, immigration, and the challenges for democracy, Americans made the constitutional order work. Um, when their brethren rebelled in order to create a government on a different basis, America pre um, preserved the system of ordered liberty as understood by the founders, right? These threads run through the curriculum, American exceptionalism. The Constitution is wholly writ. History as the story of individuals, social forces, systems, none of them stuff matters. A constant challenge of people who want to overthrow the Constitution with modern ideas. Nothing is really truly up for discussion. Now, this is actually Peter Green talking. 
Of course, traditional history texts also avoid any discussion of topics, simply avoiding anything that is discussable, simply blah, 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 goes on. Right? Well, it's one other press I want to read. So here's another kind of another angle up. So that gives you the kind of sense of the reception of it. So in lesson two, this is kind of on the lessons on the British colonies. Lesson two is an exploration of the settlement, right, is heavy on the economic and spiritual freedom aspect of the settlement while getting Winthrop City on the Hill in their uh, top queue of exceptionalism. Teachers could ask students to compare current life um, to life prior to the 1600s. And not for the last time, I'm wondering about many of the, um, the how the, many of the titles the writers know, the littles the writers know. But, uh, they would also like teachers to highlight one motivation for founding uh, Jamestown was, quote, material opportunity for the lower classes, unquote. This is the lesson that includes the one quote you may already have seen, and this is, I think we may have even read this before on the show, but here, quote, and this is Peter Green quoting the Hillsdale curriculum. Of particular note was Jamestown's original experiment with a form of communism. This collectivism plus rampant disease helped produce a disastrous first year and a half for the fledgling settlement. John Smith's requirement that settlers earn their bread by their work and his guarantee of private property ownership, along with some much-needed assistance from the local Native Americans, not only saved the settlement, but also became quintessentially American traits, both in law and in the character of the people, unquote. Now, let me remind you, and this is, take it out, let me remind you again, this is a lesson for K-2 through students, K-2, through right? So this too, here, quote, emphasize the English tradition of the rule of law and forms of government or democratic expression traced back to at least the Magna Carta. Facing a lawless wilderness with families to protect and, um, and ex-convicts in their midst, the pilgrims resorted to the English tradition of self-government under the rule of law, a social contract among themselves with God as its ultimate judge. Right? And it goes on. Um, this is just a great piece and it breaks down the curriculum and all this stuff, but I wanted to pull out that piece in part because what you see happening again and again in this curriculum is it takes current, like today's right-wing ideology, like libertarian-infused Christian nationalist ideology, right, and reinterprets historical events through that lens so you ultimately end up to where we are, right? That's how this stuff works, right? That's how the shift in the curriculum ends up functioning as a self-justifying system for the present. By telling everybody that communism was tried and failed right from the get-go as a, a passing reference, right? What does that say to kids? Second graders, by the way, first graders, by the way, communism bad. And then everything that the right wing associates with communism Socialism, social security, public education, uh, I don't know, public health care, all that stuff also bad. And therefore, any attempt to do those things is ultimately going to end up, just as it did with the founders of Jamestown, in failure and, the, and kind of potential kind of death and despair, right? That's the, that's the cycle of thought that they're trying to imbue, right? Everything is about the present using the history as a weapon to instill the present and their future into the brains of our kids, right? And it's not, again, it's not just the information, it's the habits of mind, it's the mode of thinking that they want to establish, right? They also, again, free enterprise system, rampant individualism. Again, 
they just say that's what this was, right? The further you read down in this piece by Peter Green, the further you look at the Hillsdale curriculum, the more you see that it is all about any attempt for people to gather and work collectively and collaboratively to change things, right, is negative, is anti-American, right? That goes against the God-giving writ of America, right? That's why this stuff is dangerous. That's why we need to kind of nip this stuff in the bud, right? But we're going to talk more about this going forward. That's kind of some of, you know, wanting to let you know that some of the things that I want to have, some of the people I want to invite on the show, I'm also going to start reaching out to some of our school board candidates and see if we can get a kind of school board forum. I'm going here just to hear from some of the candidates and how are they thinking about um, um, kind of their elections coming up here. Um, and uh, looking for feedback for all of you. So there's other things that we need to have on the show that you think is going to be valuable to have on the show and our podcast, whether it's our kind of out to coop live on Monday evenings, or if it's on our Friday, um, our Friday podcast, um, let me know, because I think that we need to, uh, you know, all hands on deck, so to speak. Um, I know we've been, you know, you've been saying this, I've been saying this now for a while, um, but um, you know, school board elections are just a couple months away. Um, and really the future of our kids um, schooling hands in our uh, hangs in our balance. So. All right, everybody, I'm going to call it at that today. Um, I am so happy to be back in this chair and be back talking with you. Um, it was uh, a really kind of trying first two weeks of, of a school year um, for me personally. <laughs> and I am sorry that it's kind of uh, had an impact upon um, this show and uh, my ability to do this show um, during this time. Um, but, you know, fingers crossed, all is got smooth sailing going forward and we'll kind of... Uh, We'll be showing up some of these school board meetings uh, with a little microphone in hand to talk to some folks um, ahead of the show, or I mean, sorry, ahead of the school board meetings. Um, so we begin to incorporate that into some of the work that we do here. All right, everybody, I wish you a great weekend. Looks like the rain is going to be with us throughout the weekend, um, but uh, well needed rain. At least it's not the excessive heat. Maybe our kids will actually get in some full days of school now. Um, but uh, I appreciate all your time and your effort. I appreciate everyone else sharing the show, um, letting everybody know about what goes on here. And I appreciate especially those folks who have stepped up and have become patrons of the show um, to help keep us expanding what we're doing, um, to do additional work, um, and to try to kind of really um, ground independent progressive media here um, kind of in Bucks County and beyond. So this is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. I want to remind you, you can head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress, um, become a patron of this show for as little as five bucks a month. Um, and uh, we look forward to uh, talking to next week. Might have a little kind of special things that I'm going to kind of release um, if I can get it done. Um, there will be no show this coming Monday. Um, I've got other things that I have to attend to on Monday, some family stuff, um, but we'll be back to you at the very least the next Friday. Um, but until then, um, keep your eyes on what's happening over at the Beacon. Look for the uh, first episode of the Civic Circle um, and uh, you know, keep up the fight out there, everybody. All right, this is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. We're out of here. And uh, whew, man, do we have uh, quite a fight ahead of us. Um, here we go. Have a good weekend. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Take care of yourselves. Keep up the fight. Take it easy, everybody. See ya! I'm flying away.